All right, this is a guest I wanted to have on for a very long time. Really looking forward to having her with her incredibly busy schedule. She's kind enough to make some time for us. Nets analyst, Sarah Kustak, how are you? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Nate. I wish it was on uh, better terms when the Nets had been playing a little bit better, but nonetheless, I, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I thought when we first tried scheduling this, they're this great story, and now they've lost, <laughs> lost six in a row. I know. Lost um, a little bit of steam. Hopefully that changes. Um, were, were they upset losing to Oklahoma State last night with, with those uniforms and the magic? <laughs> Did you like that? I, I honestly, the entire game, I kept having to double think, like, where are we at again? Are we down in North? And, and I love all the city edition uniforms. There's always fascinating and, and kind of fun to see what different organizations and teams go with. But yeah, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't anticipating that out of Orlando. So, um, but I like the colors. I like the colors. It was just difficult to remember the magic, uh, magic were the ones playing. <laughs> well, I, I guess we, we could say that some teams such as, uh, the one that you cover might have a slightly richer and more storied history to draw upon <laughs> for those city edition uniforms than, uh, than some other ones do. <laughs> Um, but let's get right into it here. And this isn't where I originally wanted to start, but just, you know, they've lost six straight now. What's been the difference for them as opposed to when they had that really nice run, uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Kyrie Irving injury? You know what? I think, you know, when, when they were making that nice run after the Kyrie Irving injury and into the Karis LeVert injury, I think in, in ways that got overlooked that right around that same time, um, they lost those two key players. I think in, in many ways, you know, you can kind of break down and look at all the numbers and the changes defensively, some of their struggles at that end. You add in the fact throughout this, you know, David Nawaba had become a key aspect to what they were doing with that second unit. Um, he got lost for the season with an injury. So I think there are smaller kind of factors under under the top layers that you look at that are part of the reason why they haven't been playing as well. And two, overall, I think they just haven't been shooting the ball as well as they were early on during that stretch. And a lot of these players um, who really have been so solid, those like Garrett Temple, um, relied upon maybe with more responsibility ball handling duties um, minutes than you know you would initially anticipate at this point of the year um, things have just even out a little bit and I think over the course of these last six games during the six game losing streak um, even when they're creating open shots getting good looks they're you know they haven't been going down that's been a major factor in, in their inability to close out games in the fourth quarter because the fourth quarter has been a big issue here as of recent and, and also Spencer Dinwiddie has been taking on such a major load and I think in the early part um, he was just really tremendous and he still has continued to be but I think defenses have adjusted and defenses have changed to play more of a drop back defense so they've taken away a lot of the threat of what Jared Allen was has been able to do DeAndre Jordan and I think a lot of that has been predicated on the Nets not shooting as well so opponents have been able to game plan a little bit differently on how they've been taking Taking away some some of that effective you know effectiveness in Woody and other big men. Yeah, you know Spencer just the fact that he's not hitting the three this year. I think it seems like teams have really adjusted. Last night against the Magic, he had a lot of open looks that I think last year he would have been really happy to have, and he still has to take those shots. You know, if that's what the defense is giving him, you mentioned how teams are playing a more conservative style against them, and I think he's a better shooter than what he's shown in the last you know, 10 games or so, would you agree? 
Without a doubt, without a doubt. And I think, and, and we had seen that consistently out of Spencer. I mean, he, he's, he's one of my favorite players, you know, just to watch, to have seen how he's developed the player that he's become. Um, I really do believe that he, you know, should be and is in the all-star discussions. However, I think he's just truly been, been asked to do so much for this team. He has led the team in scoring in 13 straight games. I and mean, he's been doing a little bit of everything, I think, too. What often gets overlooked is how much that's asked of him on the defensive end, um, the players that he's up against, and just how much responsibility he has to play make, um, you know, in all aspects. So I think in, in many ways that has lended itself to, you know, some more struggles from the three-point line and just the, the type of energy that you're expending. I think sometimes there, there's always a little bit of give and take when it comes to that in your three-point shot. And so I think that will eventually even out, I think we'll see him at the percentages, um, you know, that you would anticipate out of him, whether it's in, you know, the mid thirties or so. But I think right now, really for this entire Nets team, short of Joe Harris, uh, it's taken a toll on everyone on that area of the floor. Yeah. And I think they have good three point shooters and they still, I mean, if you look at their shot distribution, they've still been getting a lot of shots up. They just had that 10 out of 47 against the Magic. They had the 12 out of 50 from three against the Knicks and so they have good three-point shooters on this team they just haven't necessarily been going down or they haven't been getting quite as clean a looks and while we talked about Spencer it seems to me also that just he's the only point guard really on who's been available right now Levert is going to come back maybe he can take on that ball handling duty on the second unit but it's really been numbers wise you know just worse than the league level when Spencer's been off the floor that's been the the biggest problem to me because you've got guys who just good players, but not guys who are in that primary ball handler role. Ideally you, you hit the nail on the head and, and for a player like Spencer, um, he can be such a threat on the ball, off the ball. We've seen this with him in past years. And I think we're going to see it continue. I mean, this, this was almost, you know, you think about coming into the season, part of the game plan. When you think about if you had Kyrie Irving and Karis LeVert, like, wow, what an ideal opportunity to mix and match in the backcourt of all these different players that can play with the ball in their hands, that can play, make, can also play off the ball. Um, they're all such effective scorers in their own right. And so, yeah, I think when it comes to, to Spencer, it's just, it's been one of those circumstances where he's been relied upon for all of that. And, um, you know, and Theo Pinson has had some opportunities to, to come in, John and Musa, Garrett Tillip, of course, he's a player who really has done such a nice job there in the second unit of, of kind of being that primary ball handler. But none of those individuals are, are true point guards. And so that's where I think, you know, some of the balance falls of how they've been trying to figure out to piece that together. I mean, in, in reality, over the course, Nate, I would say the last, you know, five, six, seven games, maybe more, a lot of what they've done with a second unit in Kenny Atkinson, and it's worked well, um, you know, they'll have someone to have a guard bring the ball up the floor, and they'll initiate a lot of the offense out of DeAndre Jordan and almost utilizing him off the elbow or at the top of the key because um, he's got such great vision. It's a really um, very good passer from that high post or elbow position and they'll utilize him to distribute quite a bit. So they've been having to be creative, having to look at things in different ways. Um, And to your point, I think Karis coming back, uh, having come back the other night against Toronto looked really good and looked a lot of, you know, the Karis just with the bounce explosiveness acceleration you would expect. Um, he, he didn't play it at Orlando because the back to back, 
Um, but I think just having him back, he's someone who certainly can take on a point guard role, take on a ball handling duty. And I think, I think that will help. I think that will make a major difference just for this offense moving forward. And of course, also the defensive player um, that, that he is and what he brings to the table at that end. So despite the recent foibles, they are in playoff positioning as of now. And uh, although their offense is really cratered during this streak, they're 30th in the NBA over the last uh, two weeks offensively, they're still ninth in defense. And to me, looking at this personnel before the season, you've really only got one traditional big on the floor. You don't have much size at the four, particularly Wilson Chandler missing 25 games. But these guys have been an above average defense this year. So and they've always, I think, kind of punched above their weight in terms of some of their personnel. Even going back to last year, people don't realize they're a little bit better defensive team than offensive team. So how are they able to do it, given the fact that they don't have those traditional athletes on the wing that you would look at for a lot of these good defenses? You know, I think Kenny Atkinson, and now in his fourth year um, is the head coach of the team, I think I, I have such a tremendous amount of respect for him as coaching staff just the way that they game plan and approach things at that end of the floor. And they have systematically, even from the beginning, and, and you see it in offensively in their shot profile in the shots they want to take um, big on analytics, but if they want to take the threes, they want to get to the rim. Um, don't look for a lot of mid range shots. Of course, getting your points at the rim from the three point line and free throw line. That's a, a major factor in what they look for defensively you know they want to keep the ball out of the middle but they're willing to give up some of those long twos they're willing to get up give up um you know or at least live with some of those mid-range shots they want to take away the you know high percentage the corner three-point shots they've been excellent with their rim protection um and that's a major focus just on how they orchestrate their defensive schemes and so i think that's their baseline of everyone understanding what shots they're looking to take away, what shots and where they're trying to steer guys on the floor. And then throughout the years as they progressed, and it really started last season, and, and, and you know we were starting to see this across the board in the NBA, which has kind of been fun. Um, but last year, and maybe it was towards the back end of you know the season and a half ago, is when Kenny Atkinson started using a zone. And it's when they were struggling defensively. They were giving up a ton of points. It's like, okay, what can we do? And so start with a two, three zone. And I think that has developed, even though there's new guys on the roster and different combination of players, you still have some of your same core guys with Spencer, Karras, Joe, uh, Jared Allen in, in a good understanding and then add in some of these vets that know what they're doing. But so now they, they've been playing with a, a lot of different looks and whether, you know, it's a matter of using it against certain teams or the personnel or the matchups, they're really comfortable with switching things up um, and showing different looks. And I think they kind of had their baseline of, of what they want to protect, but also understanding, okay, it, depending on who we're up against, depending on what their personnel looks like, um, we're going to try some of these different things. And I think it's boded well for them. And I think that's, that's a major aspect just of everyone being on the same page. And I think in that sense, when you got guys, you know, working on a string and, and some connectivity at that end, players that are really vocal and communicative, it can make up for sometimes a lack of um, some of that, the, the skill set you have or some of the natural, you look at, you know, some of the junkyard defenders or just guys that get after it on that end. Um, I think that 
adds to it. And then there's a few underrated guys. I mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, I think Garrett yeah. Temple is put on that end. Like there, there's a couple guys that that help keep things together in that capacity. Jared Allen has taken a really big jump um, in his room protection, his physicality. Um, you know, you bring DeAndre Jordan. So I think it's, it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, but I think it just starts with the baseline of the understanding of, okay, what, what are our main goals on defense and how are we going to execute this? So you mentioned how you know, they do such a good job with the math on both ends, particularly defensively, forcing teams into a lot of mid-rangers, taking away the, the rim. You mentioned the zone, but in their base man-to-man, what does that look like on the floor? Like how are they – schematically forcing teams into shooting mid-rangers because in theory every team wants the other team to shoot mid-rangers but not right. all teams that execute that i i think you know what i think a big part of it is just how they've been playing a lot of their pick and roll defense um yeah. and this though has changed throughout the course of i would say even this season alone they used to be much more conservative play play their big way back um whereby, okay, we're going to go over the top. We're not going to let you sh- shoot a three, but also our big is going to be waiting back at the rim. So by nature, you know, we're forcing you to go over a screen and you got a lot of room here in the mid-range. You take a sh- and, and sometimes, as you know, you know, it, it, it works in the favor of analytics. Sometimes it doesn't feel great when you, you've got yeah. Kyle Lowry coming over the top of the screen and hitting, you know, J.J. Barea in Dallas hitting three straight mid-rangers. You think, okay, how, how does this all work? Um but I think a big part of that has been figuring out where to put where to put their big off the pick and roll. And so, you know, they had customarily been hanging, having someone hang back, stay really far back. Um, they were getting beat quite a bit off a three pointer up top. And I think they changed, you know, it's, it's some way I would say throughout the midway point of this first half of the season of having a big up high look and have them contest and just pulling in and pulling in your wings. Um really sucking in the middle of the paint and, and trying to protect those bottom wing blocks. They have a big focus on that weak side defender, you know, coming from the opposite block, making sure they pull in. They call him the the most important player um, or the most important man, but just making sure that next help away um, is ready to be there at the blocks to come and help and, and make, you know, a tough contest there at the rim. But so I think a, a lot of those things and just, you know, the focus on nothing middle and not allowing a lot in the middle, but if they funnel someone in the middle of the floor, um, making sure what they're giving up is a mid range look and not a, a hard look all the way to the basket. And, and as we know, sometimes a lot, you know, sometimes things work the way you want it. Sometimes you're, you're giving shots that you want and, and other times, um, you know, it's, it's that belief. I know Kenny Atkinson has talked about this quite a bit and we hear this from different coaches. We, you know, Ryan Saunders was just in, uh, with Minnesota and he was talking about some of the things they've done, um, in, in just different models of teams and coaches that they look to. When he said sometimes the toughest part is you believe in a certain system, you believe in the way you're doing things, but it may not always translate initially into wins. It may not always translate. You don't always have, the type of personnel that's going to get you those wins, you know, every single game or in certain moments. So just a big picture belief of the way you're doing things, you're doing things the right way. And that's where I point to, you know, Atkinson and the staff, when they came in in that first year, they pretty much, they've been flexible and you change with the way you need to change to win. But I think they had the idea of, okay, even if we're not getting the amount of wins we want, 
we're giving up the type of shots we want. We're giving up the shot profile on defense. Um, you know, we're taking the shots we want offensively. You just have this belief that you, these shooters, same as we talked about these struggles offensively and with a lot of these guys that are better probably three-point shooters than what they're shooting now, you believe sure. that it's going to even out and you're going to get to that point. And so I think, you know, kind of both ends of the floor, that's the way they look at it, just kind of sticking with the beliefs of what you want to do and knowing that um, if you keep doing it, you keep doing it the right way, that eventually it will translate into the type of play and the type of wins um, that you're looking for. Yeah, all right. Let's take a quick break here. But you kind of spawned a thought that I want to get into about just the overall Nets uh, culture right after this. So you mentioned a lot of this uh, and probably three or four things in there. And it goes back to something that struck me as you were talking that this organization, I've just been very impressed with their commitment to doing things the way that they believe it should be done, whether it's and you know they're not doing it as much now, but there are a lot of times when just having that big hang way back on the pick and roll can just look really bad. And maybe some games the, the other team's going to go nuts for mid range or they have a shooting big. Like I remember a game early this year where Valanciunas just hit like two or three threes in a row in the th- first quarter against Memphis, and they're hey we're just going to let him shoot. You know this is this is the scouting report. This is the math when it comes to their the way that they've rested players when it comes to the, the way that they even deal with injuries sometimes, you know, they don't necessarily believe in like giving updates and people like me complain about that, but they don't care, you know, (laughs) and they're going to do things the way they want to. And, you know, whether it's coming in and and getting treatment when you need to get treatment, which is something that seems like they're more aggressive about than any other team in the NBA. It really seems to me, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, that their culture is we've got our way of doing things and we think it's going to work. And, the short-term optics may be bad, but we just don't care. And and I think, you know, with that being said, to add on to it, I think their philosophy, it's the base of everything. Um, Their philosophy behind the culture is player first. And so I think because of that, the players feel their idea and concept is the players feel, believe, feel this in, in whether it's, stuff on the court, whether it's with, with rehab, whether it's, you know, whatever it is um, with their families, with taking care of their families, with whatever activities that we are always trying to do everything to the benefit of making you the best player person that, that you can be. We're trying to make things as easy as possible on you and help you be the best version of who you can be, who Spencer Dinwiddie can be, who Joe Harris can be, who Karis LeVert can be. I think also a part of that initially was bringing in the type of character players that they felt like fit the character and, and fit what they believed was this idea of their culture and they bought in. And the more that players bought in, and I'll go back to the Jared Dudleys of the world, the Mari Carroll, Ed Davis. I mean, system, even if it was players that they didn't necessarily know or believe or think, um, would, would be there for the next few years or for the big long term, just knowing that they would take care of them as players, help them to be better, help them in the context of, of winning in their careers. Um, and, and it's paid off. And so, yeah, I think to your point, um, with all of that, I think they want to make sure to alleviate a lot of the unnecessary pressures or whatever pressures for players and, and the guys that are currently in the system, the guys that have been around, um, appreciate that and they like it and, and you could feel it. And whether it's, you know, 
the way things are in the practice facility, whether it's what the training facility is like, whether how they go about things on game day, whether it's travel routines, the sports performance teams, um, you know, the meals they have, what it, you name it, top to bottom. They just yeah. they have a great attention to detail. Um, and because of that, I think the players feel like it's, it's a place um, that they want to be at and, and have people behind them that will help them become the, the type of players that they want to be. So you mentioned it, unnecessary pressures that they relieve. What are some examples of that? I just, I think even like with, with your, you know, example of injury reports are not really, and, and you're, you're with us too, who we're doing the broadcast and we really have no idea what the time, but rather than saying, okay, we, we think this guy, and even if we know what the surgery is, even if we know what a, you know, anyone and any writer can ask a, a doctor or someone, what's the, what's the usual timetable for this injury? What's the, you know, expected, um, they just, they just want to make sure that no one feels that it's going to go on the timeline of that individual player and how they're coming along and just never feel like, Oh, was there a setback or did this happen? Or that just the the questions of, well, you said it was going to be six or seven weeks and now it's X amount of time. Um, I think little things like that, just where, you know, a, a player or an individual doesn't necessarily have to deal with that type of stuff and they could just focus on, focus on themselves, focus on just getting, you know, getting themselves better and getting themselves ready or just um, when it comes to recovery, when it comes to rehab, when it comes to taking care of their bodies, anything that they need, you know, taken care of um, or they feel like will help them is accessible to them, is there for them. Um, and so I think it's, it's all of that, you know, whether it's a dietitian or, or what they want to do in terms of, um, you know, the food that they're eating or those that they want to talk to about what will help them, um, the best performance tactics of, of how they approach their diet or how they eat. Um, there's just so, so much detail, you know, the sleep that you have and, um, just looking at those type of things. And I think that that's across the board. I think in the NBA, it's fascinating, as I'm sure you've seen, just how much has changed, how much, um, has been added to the type of study and research, uh, that organizations do, that teams do to try and maximize, um, what their players are just been taking care of um, their bodies and taking care of their mental, their physical health and well-being. And so I think that, you know, the NITs are a part of that, just as many organizations are making sure that all of those resources are available for their players. So let's shift gears here for a second and let's make the assumption, which a dicey one given the, the recent press conference, but let's make the assumption that Kyrie Irving, this cortisone shot works. He's able to get back on the floor. What do you think this team needs? Uh, what aspect of this team could be improved as we go into the trade deadline to maybe make them a little more dangerous in the playoffs? You know, I, I with that being said, it, I don't, I think that's a part, a part given all that they have been playing without throughout the early part of the year. I just think by nature of them getting healthy is would be the goal of the improvements. Of course, you know, you have Kevin Durant waiting in the wings, um, expected, you know, to come back next season. But that's an aspect of, you know, that is going to be something that your organization is, is looking forward to. Um, but to get back Kyrie Irving, whenever that happens, and to your, you know, hypothetically, if, if that you know, whatever that may be. I don't even want to put that out there, but whenever he's able to return. But the fact that Karis LeVert is now back, that changes the dynamic of what they've been in desperate need of is another ball handler. 
and another playmaker. And so you get that back. I think even too, you brought up Wilson Chandler and just that four spot. Um, you know, he played in just his ninth game, I believe it was the other night after serving the 25 game suspension. So for an area of the power forward position that you were looking for potentially more size to bring to the table and someone backing up Torian Prince, um, you know, Wilson has been an addition that now you're starting to see him getting his legs under him, starting to see him have a whole lot more comfort and confidence on the offensive end. I think even too, like Rodion Kuroot was a player who had started for a good chunk of last year yeah. um, and was a little, you know, and he'd been with the G League team the early part of it, but really entirely out of the rotation. The last few games, he's been looking really good. He's been looking confident. He's been looking like the crew roots in his second year now um, that you would start to anticipate. Uh, Nicholas Claxton, it, I know he's only a rookie and um, yeah. 20 years I've old. Liked so who know, but but he had, I, I do too, and he had flash. I mean, he's explosive and he's skilled and he's got great timing. He's a lefty, but he hurt his hamstring. So he played, um, you know, he played in eight or nine or 10 games early on and then he's been out. So he finally, for the first time, um, he came in just during the last few minutes of the game, but he finally just in the last game was available for the first time. And I want to say about a month or so, um, and so I think there's all these pieces that aren't, you know, I think Karis LeVert and Kyrie Irving are obviously the headliners of players that you have returned. But I think there's all these other layers of different positional players that you, you are pretty excited to see how this pans out and how that all comes together. And I think Kyrie and Karis are the two that um, that are the big guns that would, would really, you know, entirely change the complexion of what the roster looks like. But I think these other pieces, of the, as they start to come together, um, will make a major difference. And I, and I do think, even though it's it's not something that I think the team very much cares about this season, I think they are not just playing playing out the string until next year when Kevin Durant is healthy and available to return. However, I do think you, you think about that fact that he is a member of this team that will be back next year. Yeah. So, um, and looking at the big picture of what you're doing and how you're doing things and, and gaining that momentum this season going into next season, um, that, that's that's the perspective I would have on it rather than thinking about some rash decisions at the trade deadline of, of who you need. I think there's a, a lot of pieces that are starting that should be starting to come together for this team in ways um, that you're, you would be curious to see how, how it all comes together. Yeah. And I wasn't anticipating that there would be a, a major move. I mean, even, even Levert, you know, he basically can't be traded this year because of the extension that he signed. The cap math is too difficult there. And, you know, even for people who as oh, they should sell high on Dinwiddie. Well, you know, that doesn't account for the fact that he was the guy who recruited Kyrie, who in theory then recruited KD and, and DeAndre Jordan. So it wouldn't really make a lot of sense to, to move him yeah. either. Uh, so. And yeah. he's been tremendous. Yeah. I mean, he, and he's been a player that you've relied. I mean, you talk about durability and just someone who is willing to play and take on any, you need me to start and be the superstar and you need me to come off the bench and be a six man in like whatever, whatever you need me to be a facilitator, you need me to score a defense. He has been someone who has shown to, whatever you need me to do. I'm here to help you win. And so um, that to me makes a individual such a valuable asset. So KD, when you look at him on this Nets team, how do you think he changes things 
for them and some of the roles of the guys who've been on this team playing without him and obviously without Kyrie as well? Um, I mean, he will go down as one of the greatest players, you know, yeah. I believe, to ever play the game. So I think it's, it's hard to really quantify or, or put – you know, put into perspective how much he will change things. I think it'll be a, um, it, of course, an immense amount. However, I do think it's important to remember, I, I think his game, you know, we all, when you try and anticipate what someone comes back like, and, and you talk about his game and what his game is predicated on and how that may bode well for coming back from it. You, you never really know, um, nor do you ever want to speculate what a player might be like when they come back, um, understanding just how significant of an injury that is, what it takes to to return back to form. Um, so I think, you know, that will be a wait-and-see process of how long it takes to, to be the Kevin Durant as we know him to be. Um, however, with his game and the way he plays, I think that's why people are so positive and high on, on what he can come back and become. I, too, just think his just being around him and being around the practice facility of the games, like you could tell how much he just is um, just dying to be back on the floor, how much he loves the game, how much basketball means to him. Uh, so in terms of how he'll change the team, you know, I, I just think they have the different pieces and the different roles um, to fit around him. However, I, I find it hard to think any team can be able to have pieces and players to fit around someone like a Kevin Durant. And and I know there's also been a lot of talk or even going into when they sign, what will it be like having Kyrie and Kevin on the floor? I think there are a lot of unknowns. Um, but I think when you have the type of talent that is, you, you figure out how it works best and how to maximize everyone else. And I, I too think that circles back to the type of players um, that you currently have on the roster, just the understanding of, of how they fit, um, what they're willing to do, how they're willing to be flexible with their own game to fit what you have um, in terms of skill with a Kevin Durant or with a Kyrie Irving. And I, I do think too, the Nets will have a lot of questions. I mean, Joe Harris is going to be a free agent. So I think there's going to be a lot of different questions Um you know, about what the rest of the roster shakes out and looks like as you head into next season. Um, however, I just, I, I think the player of um, the level of Kevin Durant, I think everything just starts with him. And then after that, you figure out um, how to best maximize the the talent around him and, and um, help work, you know, work around him. And, and of course, also then Kyrie Irving. Do you see, Assuming that KD can come back and be, you know, maybe not a thousand percent of what he was, but, you know, still playing at, at an all-star level. Do you see this team as a championship contender next year, assuming that you're, they're able to keep Harris as well and they go in with a pretty similar group to what they have now? I think that I think the expectation that they would have, I mean, I think externally that's what you look. I think anytime you have – a player, you know, we say this, whether it's LeBron James, you look at, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and obviously a lot of it is surrounding cast, Anthony David. But I think anytime you have a player of that caliber, you assume that they should have the goal of contending for a title. Um, and I think 
you know, you kind of see how the rest of the other teams shake out and, and what things look like, depending on who you think are some of the favorites now or this year. Um, but as we know, the NBA, like the NBA has, you know, especially over the course of the last couple of years, things have changed so dramatically year to year. Um, I'm not sure we'll see the same the same type of shift or the same, same type of shifts in rosters, but um, there is such a tremendous amount of talent out there. There's such a t- tremendous amount of young talent out there. I mean, you think about, it, I'm curious to see even just in the East in itself, like what shakes out with Milwaukee and, and what happens um, with what they do and how Giannis looks and the improvements they make and Philadelphia is a team that I have so many questions about, but they also have, you know, players that have such a high level of talent, but there's so many moving parts, um, you know, throughout the league. But I think if, if this is the roster you're looking at and you're looking at a Kevin Durant back healthy, a Kyrie Irving back healthy, I, I do believe that um, they should have championship goals and aspirations and, and, um, you know, I think the rest of it kind of the rest of everything else plays out, you know, how it does, given what the rest of the league looks like and, and what other teams look like. But but certainly I think that will be a part of what's in their mindset and what they'll be shooting for. I think that those guys, you know, Kyrie is someone who's deemed to need the ball. But, you know, he also played next to LeBron James. He has that experience that KD has played next to a lot of stars as well. And both those guys can shoot, which is the biggest thing yeah. that yeah. where they can fit together. I think they could be a really, really good offense, close to the best in the league offense. They'd have so many ways that they can attack you, whether it's the KD mismatch, Kyrie pick and roll. You can bring Harris off of screens. You've got a nice alley-oop threat as well. I'd be a little worried about their defense getting to a championship level. Uh, you know, I think that's where they might end up needing to balance the roster a little bit more to get that one guy. Cause I, I don't think KD at 32 coming back from the Achilles injury is going to be, you know, your number one stopper on the wing. They might need to be able to get that player. If you're really getting deep in the playoffs at this point, that's the one thing that I, I think that they might be missing if you're really talking about them in the top echelon. And, and I, and, and I agree. And I think all those things are valid questions and that's where I think when you look at young players um you know that would be my question with care like how good of a defensive stopper can Karis Levert be um yeah. he can guard multiple positions can he guard you know could he guard three you know how how big could you go how deep could you go with having him as a wing stopper can he become that um I think the same thing could be said you know Dinwiddie is still that how you're utilizing him. Um, I do think just another bit you say, okay, who's, if, if we're really thinking about this big picture, you know, who, who's guarding LeBron James, who's guarding um, Kawhi Leonard, those type of questions. And, and those are excellent points. So that's where um, I think the way the rest of the roster shakes out, what else you have, um, who you do have. But I do think the, you know, the great equalizer, always seems to be shooting. Um, and especially in this day and age and with this NBA, um, if you have guys that can score, if you have guys that can shoot from the perimeter, in many cases, that is such a major difference um, in terms of how that matches up against a really great defense. So last question I wanted to ask you, this is always a fun one to ask uh, people who see a lot of teams uh, in person, uh, who are some of the opposing players that you've seen this year that have really surprised you as far as how good they are? Ooh, 
That's an excellent question. Um, off the top of my head, I'm going to think of a few, and then I may think of more. I, I am a, I am an enormous me along with with most everyone else. But Bam Adebayo is someone yeah. who, when he came in the league, I remember talking to so many individuals, you know, on the Miami staff or within the organization, and they were so high on him and talked about his potential and his motor and um, what a great individual he was, you know, just his character off the court and uh, work ethic, all the things. Right. And, and oftentimes these are the conversations you have about a rookie. And when, when people are excited about their draft pick, I, I believed he would be good. I never anticipated he would take a jump. Like we've seen him make this season. I mean, he has just been, absolutely tremendous and and more than anything i mean you knew he was a hustle player you knew that he was gonna um you know be someone who's the the beast on the glass and but the the way he's been passing the ball like what he does defensively um he has just been such a pleasure to watch And, and that miami team is a fun team to watch but he's someone who the jump that he took from last season to this season was one that I certainly did not anticipate. I think Devontae Graham, everyone is thinking about, um, we saw him and when, it, when the Nets have played, when the Nets have played the Hornets, he's had some big, big time games. Um, and so I think you just feel happy for someone who his, has a background story. He does taking that jump. Um, I'll also say, which I, I think that this is an obvious statement um, again, and everyone's probably feeling this way, uh, but Luka Doncic, I, I was a huge fan of watching him last year. Um, yeah. I just, the way he played his game and his, his basketball IQ, his feel for the game, the, the intelligence he shows, the size, like it, everything about um, him screams that he was going to be a star in this league. However, what he has been this season, the jump he made just from his rookie year he's, to this he's year. He's like blowing um, by guys. Like it's, it is, it's incredible. It, like his acceleration, yeah. his deceleration. Uh, like and, and you're wondering yeah. how he's doing it and just how, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. His step back three. And even though he's not, I mean, I'm not sure what his percentages are now. I think he's shooting like 31 or 32, but yep. in the low thirties from through, but just the, the clutch nature of the shot, like the poise that he has, um, just bravado in his game and how he takes that. I just, I, I can't get enough of watching him play. Um, he is one of my favorite players to watch, which again, I, I, I'm amongst the masses on that, I'm sure. Um, but he's someone who I, I was so high on last year, and I still even and being excited about the player he was going to become never would have thought he'd be playing um, at the level that he's playing at already this year. He's just – he's really – and when you see him in person and you see him live and you understand um, – just the physicality that he brings to the just true size he has, how he sees over defenses to your point, how he with his his lack of speed somehow is like blowing past <laughs> people just because you're because he's such a threat in so many ways. Um, his understanding of who needs what when, when he needs to look for his shot, when he needs to find a teammate. There's he just he's got so much sauce to his game and um yeah, I just I, I we were just down in Dallas, and um, and he also he had a tremendous finish and just absolutely took over down the stretch. But um, but he's someone who I continue to just be in awe of. Yeah, I, I've he's 
the best 20 year old ever right now. I think that's pretty close to, and that's a great, like, I would say. yeah. And that's a crazy, like when you think about like, man, he is 20 years old. That's um, yeah, that's something. That's something. And, and the funny thing is that, and I subscribe to this a little bit, maybe not as much as some people that, People thought, okay, well, he's really good right now, but, you know, he's not that athletic. He's a little pudgy. Like, how high is his upside? Well, it turns out it's pretty high. <laughs> it's- <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's only going to get high. Like, that's the thing. It's like it's, it's only going to get better when you're when you come in how you do and, and you're at the point you're at. It's only it's only going to keep getting better. So, um, so, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any anyone else that's – that has really that you wouldn't anticipate. I think a lot of the you know you you see guys that make big jumps and you're excited about, or guys that have been in the league for some time that are doing good things with with new teams. But um, those are the ones that stick out to me for sure. Well, thanks so much uh, for joining us. And I do have to say, I've never met him before, but please give my regards to uh, Ian Eagle for calling uh, that TLC layup yesterday a French dip. <laughs> I was, I was nearly speechless on that. Sometimes his lines are just so good; they they catch me off guard, and I I just want to clap or something. I don't know what to do, but I I will certainly let him know. I will certainly tell him. It it, it was so good that uh, it even <laughs> got past me, me who is uh, notably pedantic. Uh, I was able to enjoy it, even though I happen to know that the French dip was invented in L.A. But it was still such oh. a good line. I had to, I had to ignore that and, uh, and just appreciate oh, well, it for what it was. I, I tonight, I will let him know. I will let him know for sure. <laughs> Thanks so much, and Nate. I, I said as I told you earlier, I'm an avid listener to your podcast, so I feel honored. Um, I feel honored to to have been asked to be on, and hopefully, uh, we'll get to do this again sometime soon. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking forward to returning the favor uh, on your show, and uh, I'm an avid listener uh, of the Nets uh, broadcast as well. So, uh, thanks again, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Spring and Danny now catch up on some news around the association. With today being cut down day, we got to talk about that. But first, should we pour one out for uh, robot sounding Danny? Is this the end of him? Uh, maybe not. Let's let's not make any promises here. But we we <laughs> we think that we resolved the issue. It was a there was kind of a cord connection issue that um I I hadn't really thought about, and I think that should be resolved in a future iteration. I'm not actually recording from the same place, so I can't say definitively. But yeah, I mean we're we're there. Um, f- unfortunately, Blake Griffin's knee issues cannot be resolved as easily as just replacing as replacing a cord or connection. Yeah, he underwent surgery as was, was presaged by the report by Chris Haynes over the weekend and is termed an arthroscopic debridement of his left knee. I've never really understood debridements that well. It seems like that's kind of more of a tendon type of issue than a an issue with the cushioning of the meniscus. Uh, Carmelo Anthony had this type of procedure as well, I believe is probably the most recent person to undergo it back in the 14-15 season and wasn't ever really quite the same after that. Griffin, it is termed that he will have an extensive rehabilitation. You, I will eat my socks if he plays again this year after this and 
especially with them potentially going in a different direction not necessarily getting close to the playoffs but it had been a massive struggle for him uh anything else you want to say uh, on that surgery and what this means for the pistons not really i mean we, we hit on it already in the yeah we, we have we kind of thought this is where things were going so uh let's get to some of the cut down stuff uh, for we well I, I got a little more on the pistons first oh sure sure um, sure so mark stein saying that there is confidence that drummond will be moved by the deadline uh, not much more than that uh, also noteworthy that markeith morris uh, has missed six straight games with a sprained foot doesn't seem like he'll be returning anytime soon could be a trade candidate there as well considering that he's got that player option for next year might be able to help some things i don't think he's been so amazing this year i don't think they've really missed him much and also in more pistons inscrutable injury news reggie jackson who hasn't played since like the first two games of the season with this back issue he saw a specialist while the pistons were in la and uh is making progress but there is no time frame on continuing full basketball activities so it seems interesting to me that the pistons fly to la and then all of a sudden everyone sees these specialists maybe they would have seen him earlier but um so it's uh Siku Dumboya time maybe Derek Rose is on the table now for the Pistons as well to trade and uh, they don't have a ton of assets uh, at the moment it's kind of Dumboya and Kennard and Bruce Brown is kind of their team uh, at the moment here so that they're gonna if they do decide to tear it down they're gonna have a long way to go but I mean it's easy enough to tear it down when you weren't making the playoffs anyway right and I, I think what the the Drummond stuff also indicates is there was this possibility that having Andre Drummond's bird rights at the end of this could be advantageous maybe the Pistons don't want to pay him his maximal contract but if the market is weaker for him then they could go that way and that the the value there isn't there and that's also why I thought the Pistons would never do this as a salary dump is just because they don't really need to dump his salary and it'll be interesting especially if multiple teams are in on the bidding I don't think the return is going to be huge but I've been wrong on this before because remember all it takes is one or two GMs to overvalue player to have the return get you know not insane but to get higher than it would be in my mind let's talk about some of these other cut downs here where do you want to go first in no small part because I wrote about it, let's start in San Francisco with the Warriors. Basically, what they did is they they cut Marquise Chris right before, and let's explain actually what the cutdown date is. So, basic, uh, the way NBA contracts work is that everybody who is on an NBA contract after on and after January 10th, that contract becomes fully guaranteed, whatever the structure of it was. So that means you have to cut a player so that they clear waivers in time, which means that January 7th, I believe it's 5 p.m. Eastern on January 7th is the cutdown date. Marquise Chris was not a guaranteed contract, so the Warriors waived him, and it looks like part of what that is doing is that now that they don't have to pay him the remainder of that contract, that clears enough space under the hard cap for them to sign Damian Lee to convert him and sign him, and it sounds like it might be a multi-year agreement, which is allowed as long as they have the capacity to sign him to that contract. And that doesn't preclude Chris returning even as soon as this year if he clears waivers, but it it may, and, and that's why it makes sense to me. I argued in, in the piece that I wrote for the Athletic Bay Area that another option would have been to try to trade Alec Burks, but considering the timeline the, with Lee basically running out of days really soon on the two-way, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and they maybe think that they'll get a second rounder for Burks and of course they had no cash to induce anyone or really second rounders to induce anyone to take some of these other guys like say a Jacob Evans I think Chris clearly has outplayed many of the guys who are on this roster 
but those guys have longer term guaranteed contracts than he does so the Warriors actually have enough of their mid-level exception that they could sign Lee to up to a four-year deal it just can't start at anywhere above 1.2 million for this year but considering that he's used all of his NBA days he should get a decent payday this year it seemed like when he signed the two-way this summer that this was something that they had agreed that they were going to do with him or certainly outlined an agreement to do with him and so they didn't have anything that they and he's also earned it with his play i mean he's been more important to them than chris he's been their only threat on the wing in a lot of these games so and i'll be interested to see for the negotiation from lee's perspective of how long of a contract he's willing to sign what the guarantees are on it are going into next year when they won't have as many cost constraints but they will almost certainly be deep into the luxury tax in particular if they use that 17 million dollar trade exception that they have so as of right now we're still only have 14 players on the roster kai bowman is just gonna have to go back to the g league in about five days and at that point you know they have all these guys who are out the next time under the hard cap that they could actually sign a player would be in march i think it's march 3rd is that deadline now depending on how much lee gets if he gets a little bit more than we expect then that could even push that date back yeah even further and remember that the warriors have part of their mid-level exception so they could theoretically do this in in different ways depending on what lee agrees to and yeah. also then alec burks if he gets traded that could open up some money under the hard cap there are a couple different ways that bob myers can handle this we're just going to kind of have to see how it works out and another team that is doing creative accounting right now is the houston rockets they waived gary clark gary clark who had been on a two-way contract last year and remember the dance that they did with daniel house and gary clark and then he agreed to a contract that had non-guarantees for future seasons. I believe it was this season and next season in addition to last year. And this... Albert Namad, I think his theory on this is pretty sound, that this is the what he calls the no-tax plan, which is to, to try to avoid it entirely. But something that I think is notable here with Clark is that unlike in the Carmelo Anthony and Michael Carter-Williams situations last year, where the Rockets used their cash on hand to pay the other teams to take those players and get their whole money off the Rockets' books, they did not do that here with Clark. And I, my theory is the reason they did that is to at least keep the door open for him to return to the Rockets. Yeah, that's a, a thought because if he were traded and waived then he wouldn't be able to come back and they may go the 10-day route with him as well because remember now after this you can only either sign guys to a couple of 10 days and then sign them for the rest of the season i I think we'll see some of these guys maybe after the trade deadline it could get brought back as well and they still have nene and jail green they need to get rid of so maybe the thought was that they needed to save their cash and assets to move off of those guys and open up roster spots plus more room under the tax uh other rockets news eric gordon is back he's been back for the last few games i was actually supposed to play in a back-to-back this week russell westbrook is not playing in a back-to-back he had been sitting out the second half of back-to-backs but because thursday is his return to oklahoma city he'll be sitting out on wednesday as well tyson chandler has been out is his nominal backup center minutes are now going to isaiah hartenstein chandler it's rib and shoulder soreness hartenstein has shown a, a little bit i'm still not believing him as a playoff level contributor but he can get some rebounds and run the floor and he's taking some incremental steps forward this year what else we got we're gonna have to keep an eye out in philly our 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 hopes for the nba cast are that joel Embiid will play on thursday uh he had a dislocated finger it looked scary on the thing Uh, dislocated fingers always freak me out a little bit yeah i I didn't i did not look at those photos oh yeah i was watching live so i could not not look and a left ring finger we'll see what's going to happen there and on the positive side 
side, Matisse Thibel is getting closer to returning maybe the next week or so, and he could be a part of the rotation, obviously. Yeah, coming off that sprained knee and bone bruise. Embiid, you would think dislocated left ring finger that's one where you can tape it up and and hopefully it would be able to play in phoenix frank kaminsky over the weekend it was revealed that he is going to be sidelined indefinitely with a right patella stress fracture he won't be reevaluated even until four weeks and so now the backup minutes at the four have been a little interesting Sharich really had a dmp in the first half the other day against memphis played some in the second they're starting ayton and aaron baines together which ayton has always wanted to play the four he said had quotes about how this is my natural position i I was born as a four i would say that uh his lack of three-point shooting and ability to do stuff off the dribble and get through screens defensively and do a lot of other things might mean that i don't agree with him but we'll see how those units go they should work okay on offense with the way that Baines has shot the ball defensively with Aiton as the four maybe he provides less damage than he would at the five I didn't think he had a great defensive game against Memphis as they lost over the weekend but it he and Baines are still basically splitting the minutes and then just playing the last and first stint of the half together has been the general outcome there um Kaminsky I don't think was giving them that much so it's not a huge loss to me for the Suns but I'm, I'm very interested to see how this Aiton and Baines things go together some reasons to think it wouldn't work some reasons to think that it might but but I will say this long term DeAndre Aiton needs to be your center like he needs to be good enough defensively to be your center this is kind of a stopgap as of now in my opinion right and and beyond that a center who is not good enough at center defensively to play center is not worth taking at the number one overall pick but we we don't need to rehash that every single time we talk about DeAndre Aiton just some of the times Uh, let's go to the team they're actually playing on Tuesday night the Sacramento Kings Bogdan Bogdanovich will not play in the game on Tuesday against the Suns we're recording before it starts and he didn't even travel with the team and this is his third game out so that's not exactly encouraging and they're gonna they potentially could be without some of their big men as well yeah and with the Kings being 0-6 without him that's uh, that's not great they really need him as a, a second secondary ball and he's either their first or second best passer on the perimeter uh Rashawn Holmes suffered a right shoulder injury had to leave the game in the third quarter against Golden State on Monday he's doubtful to play tonight against the Suns last I saw uh and Marvin Bagley's been upgraded to doubtful uh which is a slight improvement with that left foot injury but still doesn't seem like he is close Toronto more concerning injury news there as Fred Van Vliet has suffered a right hamstring strain had a great game over the weekend against the Nets and then first was reported as a back injury now it's a right hamstring strain they said it's going to be a while before they know how long he's going to be out but he certainly will not be playing tonight against the Blazers that game actually has probably already started as we're recording this now and Norm Powell has started doing a little bit of on-court work with that uh shoulder issue he's gonna still need a little more time sounds like the next week or so matt thomas has that finger issue and he could also return relatively soon give him a little bit more shooting and uh nick nurse saying though it's still gonna be quite some time for siakam and gasol i mean that those ones sound to me like it could be you know still weeks uh before we see them once again 
Another reminder of the the great coaching job that Nick Nurse is doing without some key players. Another team without a ton of players is the Washington Wizards. Bradley Beal is listed as questionable for their game Wednesday due to right leg soreness. He's missed three straight and five of six, which is is definitely concerning for the Wizards. I mean, you would say, yeah, it's going to be hard for them to recover from this, except that the bottom of the East is just such a dumpster fire. Well, I've already ruled them out of the playoffs on my pod with Hollinger, so that means they have absolutely zero chance. Uh, Yeah, this is really weird that he missed two played now has missed three straight with this soreness which you guess is related to that soreness that he had years ago uh, those stress reaction issues doesn't seem like he's close to getting back doesn't seem like this has been managed incredibly well to just have only sit out two games and then come back and then sit out three more he clearly came back too soon because this seems like more of a stress issue than an acute issue Garrison Matthews was a great story. Puts up 25 points and then immediately sprains his right ankle. He's not going to play on Wednesday. Davis Bertans is aiming for a return later this week, according to Candace Buckner, with his right quad issue. Chase Hughes of NBC Sports saying that Thomas Bryant with that right foot issue that's kept him out much longer than he it was supposed to initially. He's about a week away as well. And Mo Wagner still probably has another two weeks or so. He should just be getting out of his walking boot right about now. So that's uh, still an indication that he's not particularly close. And remember, he sprained his ankle, came back, and then uh, unfortunately sprained it again. So yeah, Wizards, not a ton of guys available at the moment, but they still beat the Celtics last night. They did. That was a crazy game. I watched the end of it when it got a eh, teensy bit close, but yeah, they, they did still win it. Uh, we, sh- we could just jump to the Celtics. Kemba Walker has missed three straight with an illness. And yeah, Robert- he's questionable for their next game. Yeah, questionable for their next game. Robert Williams has that left hip bone edema. He could return inside the next week. For Atlanta, Jabari Parker underwent a non-surgical pr- surgical procedure on his right shoulder. Get a lot of these non-surgical procedures for the Hawks. I wonder what those are. Uh, but he's going to be re-examined in two weeks, so he didn't play last night as they lost to denver that game we talked about extensively uh on the gamer pod so more minutes for vince carter more minutes for cam reddish they don't really have much in the way of traditional force probably means we'll see more of john collins at the four than the five necessarily chicago i expect their defense to take a significant hit without wendell carter who has been a solid defensive player maybe their best defensive player this year when you consider his position obviously chris dunn is really good too suffered what he termed a moderate ankle sprain against dallas last night so that's to me kind of sounds like a two to three weeker he said it was the most pain that he'd experienced as a basketball player that's uh, never great and daniel gafford suffered an ankle sprain but was able to continue so that bulls defense that has been so good i do expect them to take a step back without wendell carter the mavericks are getting tim hardaway jr back he was upgraded for their for their next game but Kristaps porzingis will be out on wednesday due to knee soreness this is not the same knee as his acl yeah this is his right knee he had said he was hopeful to play to tim mcmahon but then he's already been ruled out for wednesday and Porzingis had been other than missing some back-to-backs totally healthy this year so this is not concerned they're obviously going to be cautious with him they got back on track offensively against chicago at a 128 offensive rating in that game hardaway might be more important to their offense frankly uh, just the way that he shot the ball this year i was worried that that hamstring issue would keep him out longer but he uh, came back and was on fire all of a sudden uh, right at the start 
Cleveland, Kevin Love apologizes. He said that he was acting 13 instead of 31. If I were him and I want to be traded, I wouldn't be highlighting what my actual age is because that's uh, that's part of the problem here. <laughs> but this kind of seems like someone told him or he told himself, hey, you know what? If your trade value is so low, you're not going to be able to be traded. They're just going to be stuck with you. It's going to be like the same situation as Chris Paul, where even if you're playing okay, you're not worth your contract. And so uh, Joe Varden and Sam Amick, their podcast, Joe was saying that perhaps the thought in Cleveland is beginning to shift a little bit that they want to just get him out of there now. And that's always what the thinking probably should have been. If there was ever a point at which they could have gotten anything for him, I'd advise them to move them. We also advise them not to sign him to that extension to begin with. Uh, that is looking like it's going to be prescient. KP disagreed with me on Twitter. I understand this argument of hey, if you shape up, you're lessening the pressure on the organization to trade you. But I think it's there's plenty of pressure already that that to me is where I disagree with him there, that if you make it look like it's just such a disaster, then, and he says that other organizations aren't going to care about that. Maybe that's true, but that also makes the Cavs look more desperate to trade him. So I think he needs to at least make up and pretend that everything's okay long enough to to get out of there varden also reporting in a piece today that the Cavs are showcasing john henson and brandon knight uh with larry nance out for a couple weeks uh with some knee soreness that varden emphasized is in fact legitimate knee soreness and is not just a, an excuse to showcase henson but both those guys seem uh, headed for the buyout market in my opinion yeah i mean the other mechanism that kobe altman could use is to use to trade those guys in exchange for longer term contracts and the idea there might be what happened with george hill the dream is hey not only are we getting out of bad contracts like john tenson last year but also you're getting a player who can help you that will be great yeah, but but, I don't but those think, guys can't help anybody right I, I think i think that's the the conceit there at least in terms of me something yeah, that, now maybe uh, the, tristan thompson can yeah, follow that model exactly. but I, and jordan it, clarkson it, yeah. already did like i mean that's yeah. the that, that that would be the the centerpiece for me um a piece of news that i think other people might fixate on more than us because we understand the full context is the reporting that anthony davis turned down an extension with the lakers this is a formality basically because now especially that we're this deep into the season the lakers were not allowed to offer davis the full extension until the six year six sorry six month anniversary of when they acquired him however that extension is significantly less lucrative than he can sign as a free agent now a few months from now. And there is really no doubt that the Lakers will offer that contract when he declines this option and becomes a free agent. So the risk mitigation here is basically nil. Yeah, and I also think it could be possible that he signs a one plus one or maybe a two plus one this offseason. The two, the latter would be the same course that Leonard took where he could opt out again and then get that five-year 35% of the cap although that doesn't matter as much now when you're getting the eight percent raises he'll be up around that same amount regardless uh because the cap's not going up as crazily as it was in the middle part of the last decade this is this is why i should have told you beforehand that i'm writing a piece on this but yeah that's that's what i'm going i'm going to write a piece explaining the the structure of ad's next contract it was something i was i was talking with a writer today and realized oh that's a piece i should write but yes that malcolm brogdon another one of these concerning issues he's going to be a game time decision against the heat on wednesday was spotted going through some light five on five along with victor oladipo as well recall that it's been back and hamstring issues for brogdon 
Miami, Justice Winslow, remember him? He's on the heat. He had missed 15 straight with a back issue. He did practice finally. He's going to travel to Indiana and New York with the team. Some hope that he could return from injury at that point in time. Jimmy Butler didn't play Sunday against the Blazers. Uh, Also a back issue for him. He practiced Tuesday, so the hope is that he'll be back on Wednesday. That's another thing to watch, though, if he's uh, got some tightness in his back. But we did see James Johnson, who was in the rotation on Sunday with Butler and Winslow out. But if they return, presumably he'll be right back on the bench is carl towns ever going to come back for minnesota the four minnesota part of that is interesting um but yeah i mean at some point he will and what's so weird about this or unusual let's say is that he has missed so little time before this issue and and we we, you don't know i mean it's it's hard we don't have access to the medicals but that happening is is definitely concerning well it's just been odd that he's been questionable for like each of these last 10 games and uh he's questionable tonight against memphis i'm guessing he's not going to play he hasn't practiced yet so um i he he didn't start so i'm guessing he's not going to play yeah uh new york alfred payton had missed time uh, with a personal absence he's actually really helped the mix they've been much friskier much better net rating when he's been on the floor he's really been the one adult in the room offensively yeah he can't shoot but he at least can run the team to some degree dennis smith jr probably not going to play tonight against the lakers he's missed five straight with that oblique issue and marcus morris is doubtful for tonight with uh, a neck issue oklahoma city danilo gallinari another nagging injury right calf contusion and these are the sorts of things that have lingered for him remember that glute issue that basically cost him all the 17 18 season with the clippers he also had an ankle sprain but he did come back pretty quickly from that so he's not going to play tonight in brooklyn and mike muscala has played some in his stead uh but he's going to be out for the rest of the game after his life being ended by jared allen with a dunk and uh Nerland's Noel also has missed two straight now with an ankle sprain that he suffered Saturday against the Cavs so starting to mount up here these injuries uh, Muscala is basically about it as far as backup big man it's going to be a lot of uh Darius Basley and remember they've still got Hamadou Diallo out as well so Chris Paul get used to garden fours all right we good here yeah, I'll just mention briefly that uh, I had those two pieces that came out on Tuesday, the, the Warriors piece explaining their how they can re-sign their, their pending free agents, including an addendum on the Chris Lee thing, which we talked about here. Also, the start of my three-piece series on the, t- the the first one was on the teams that I project to use cap space in 2020. Then what will come out on Wednesday is the teams that I project to be over the apron. So not only taxpayers, but not have the full non-taxpayer MLE. So you can look forward to that coming out most of you by the time you listen to this yeah don't forget about hollinger and duncan where john and i discussed our rankings of the players available at different positions via trade and the nba cast yeah it's coming up on thursday hopefully joel and Bede will play in that game we are feeling the pain of the nba schedule makers uh, in these national tv games when uh we have a little more flexibility than them but th- thursday is going to be it regardless because there's a warriors game we're both going to tomorrow and we will talk to you all tomorrow night till then